I want to talk about a fence and the importance of a fence. Several years ago in 1895, long before any of us were born, there was a, a poem uh, that was written that was entitled The Fence or the Ambulance. Has anybody ever heard of that, that poem or that, that writing? Well, it was entitled The Fence or the Ambulance. It was written by a man by the name of Joseph Malins, M-A-L-I-N-S. Later, it was published in the Iowa Health Bulletin uh, to the people that were there in 1912. And this story is a short story that it talks about uh, a city that, was, uh, that had a cliff that was there in the city, far up uh, over the city. And it was a beautiful place for people to be able to go and to look out over the city. Well, the story goes on to say that the people that would go up there, they would get far too close to the edge of that cliff, and they would tumble head over heels down into the ravine, down into the city below. So bad was it that they started an ambulance company with, I'm sure, uh, horses and, and wagons that would carry these people to a place where they could be cared for. So good was the business of the ambulances that they decided, we're going to put some more money in this thing because countless numbers of people are going to that cliff and they are falling off. And um, so we need to build some more ambulances. And so somebody, in looking at that, they said, I wonder what is better. Would it be better for us to uh, build more ambulances and to have more ambulance people? Or I wonder if we could just build a fence. For you see, then they could stand on top of that cliff, and then they would know how close they could get without falling off, and it would prevent them from the injury, and we would not need an ambulance at all. And so the title of this whole writing was simply The Fence or the Ambulance. I believe that we need fences in our lives today. Psalms chapter 62, I read several passages, so just follow along if you'd like. Truly my soul waiteth upon God, from him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense, I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you imagine mischief against a man? You shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall shall you be, and as a tottering fence. Then in Nehemiah chapter 1, it tells the story about Nehemiah and his desire to go back into Jerusalem and to rebuild the gates and the fence or the wall that surrounded the city. He was concerned about that. And finally, in Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 30 through verse 34, it tells the story of a slothful individual. And his vineyard, it caused him to have a void of understanding. His vineyard was all grown up with thorns and nettles, the Bible says. And then he said, when I looked at this, I received instruction. And he said, the wall was broken down, and it was all because there was a little slumber, there was a little sleep, there was a little folding of the hands to sleep. And he said, because of that, the poverty will come as one that travels and as an armed man. All of these passages that I've read to us this morning, they talk about the importance of a fence. And when the fence is intact, it provides security and it provides success. But when the fence is not intact or when there is a breach in that fence, then it allows things to come in there that should not be there. 
and the Bible says that uh, it caused a great downfall. Well, today, I want to talk about the difference that offense makes in all of our lives. Offense, something that we need. I'm reading today from Genesis chapter 2, which is where I will take my main text. And the Lord God, verse 8, planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and of evil. Genesis 2 and 15 through 17. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. There's the fence. For in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Or if you breach that fence and you tear that down, death will be the result of that broken fence or that breach of that fence. Genesis 3, verses 22 through 24. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of that tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims with a flaming sword that turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. A fence was there to keep him from coming back into that Garden of Eden. Fences. Fences, fences. I've discovered in my life that one thing we have trouble with is fences, don't we? Oh, a fence is all right as long as you put that fence up. Amen. But you let somebody else put the fence up, and we question everything that has to do with that fence. We test the boundaries, and we cross that fence saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. After all, who are they to build a fence and to tell me what I can and cannot do. I understand because that is exactly how my dog acts. And if I'm honest, I act the same way. When I was growing up, our neighbors had horses, and our neighbor was Sister Helen Lawrence, who thanked the Lord after 45 years uh, uh, that we have known her. She came in, she was baptized in Jesus' name, and God filled her with the Holy Ghost. Don't ever give up on your neighbors, my friend, because God will work through you to be able to get to where they're at. And so I grew up with her children, and uh, what we would do is we, they had horses, and, and um, uh, what the horses would do is the horse always thought that the grass on the other side of the fence was better than the grass that was inside the fence. You all had horses. You know what I'm talking about. And so what they would do is they would put their long neck over that fence and they would eat that grass. Well, many times what they would do, either intentionally or unintentionally, it was the result of them pushing the boundaries, though. They would push that fence down, and they would weigh down so that they could step over that fence, and then they were free to roam. Oh, it was a sight to see, I'm telling you, when that Shetland pony and that big Palomino got out and began to run up and down the streets of that neighborhood laughing all the way while we were chasing after them, trying to get them corralled back inside of that fence. 
You never have lived until you're chasing a large quarter horse and a stupid Shetland pony, amen, down the street of a subdivision. There's nothing worse than a Shetland pony, I'm telling you, while everyone else watches the show. You see, the, only, the horse has only learned to show respect for the fence when one day I noticed that there was a strand of barbed wire that was on the top of that fence. <laughs> and then the barbed wire was attached to an electric box, and that was what was called an electric fence. And I couldn't figure out why those horses were not getting out anymore until one day we would cross the fence, uh, my neighbors and my friends, and uh, the fence was just high enough that I couldn't crawl over it, you know, straddle it. But if they would get a piece of wood or a branch or a log or something, and they would push down on that fence, it was then that I was able to step over and I was able to come over on the other side and safely uh, get by with crossing that fence. Well, one day uh, we were crossing the fence and I had held that line down, that barbed wire down, and uh, let all my friends go. And they were standing there and they were holding that barbed wire, waiting for me to go across. And just as soon as I stepped over that one foot, they let that barbed wire go. And here I was, suddenly in a shocking situation. And I discovered that sudden zing is what keeps those horses inside of that fence. It was a shocking experience, but I promise you, I learned respect and the value for a fence. And then there was the song that was written, Don't Fence Me In. Everybody perhaps has heard of that. It was written in 1934 as a poem and later became a song sung by many artists throughout the years. The words go like this, Give me a land, lots of land, under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. Don't fence me in. And this song, it seems to explain very well the human will that is there in all of us, which says we don't like fences. We don't like barriers. We don't like restrictions. We don't like boundaries. And we don't like bosses. You say, I can't identify with that. Oh, yes, you can. When you can't go in a store because there's a fence called a mask, you say, who are you to tell... Uh, and we're quick to say that you're not my boss. We're quick to say, I can do what I want. I am my own standard. I do what I want. Don't fence me in. And yet I want you to consider this morning that God has established some fences to keep people and things in. And he's established those fences also to keep some people and some things out. You say, oh, that's wrong. Oh, but it is right, my friend. For you see, if you believed that that was wrong, you would take the front door off of your house and you would take the screen door off and you would let everybody and their brother come in any time they want because actually that's the fair thing to do. You say, oh, that's the way it should be. You need your head examined if you think that, my friend. There is a need for fences in our world today. The Bible is a book that speaks of the importance of fences. I read to you already the importance of a fence. Our scripture text in Genesis 2 and 3 this morning, it places Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. 
And God gave them free reign over the entire garden. All of the fruit trees, they were theirs. Every waterfall became their personal shower and the sauna that they could stand inside of. The grassy fields, they became their select comfort mattress to be able to lay upon. And the canopy trees above them protected them from the night heavy dew where the rain or where it watered the grass and the trees and the flowers. They had everything that they needed and they could do anything that they wanted except that there was a fence. Somebody help me here today. The fence was the tree of knowledge of good and of evil. It was as far as they could go. It was the stopping point. It was only one fence, but it was a fence. And then it happened just as they were crossing that fence. You know, the devil held down that barbed wire. Amen. And just as they got straddled of that fence, mid-stride, he let it go. And there was the shock of that decision that has been felt for many generations, even until 2020 today. Their unwillingness to accept God's boundaries and their trespass of the law of God and his fence, it thrust mankind headlong into sin. The Bible says this, because of Adam's sin, each of us were born in sin and we were counted as one that has trespassed the laws or the fence of Almighty God. The Bible says it this way, we were dead in trespasses of sin. Or in other words, when we trespassed and we went where we should not go, it created a deadness inside of our life. And it was only when Christ came and he robed himself in flesh and he died on the cross that our sins were able to be remitted and that we were able to be renewed. That gospel, it brought us back to a place of right standing with God. You see, when you are born again, there are some fences that God gives us and we must cooperate with if we expect to be victorious. It's a beautiful thing when someone comes and repents and they are baptized in water and God fills them with the Holy Ghost. But if that's as far as your experience goes and there are no fences that you have placed in your life or that God has placed in your life, you my friend are not living the life of a Christian that God has called you to live. God has called us to recognize fences that he has placed in our lives and to appreciate and obey and respect them things as well. The fence that I speak of today, there are many fences, but the one that I want to talk about today, it becomes an indicator of the spiritual well-being of the person. When we recognize and we obey and we abide within the, the fence that God has placed, it testifies that I am a spiritual and I am a mature man or woman of God. I believe that, that God places the fence of conscience in every single person and conviction in every single person. Conscience and conviction becomes a fence that is set there that God 
puts in our lives, built into every man and woman, there is the ability to know right from wrong. When we do wrong, conscience tells us, you are wrong. Conviction says, you shouldn't have. And I believe that every person, man, woman, boy, and girl, they have that, but it's never as strong as when they are a child and they just begin to experience life. The fence of conscience and conviction is one that is present. We see it in John chapter 8. The Bible says that Jesus stood just there on the Mount of Olives. And he is there getting ready to go into the temple. And the Bible says that the scribes and the Pharisees, they come running to where he is at, not to worship him, not to praise him, but they come to find fault with him and they came to find fault with others as well. Why is it that we come to the house of God? Do we come there to see Jesus? Do we come there to worship him? Do we come there to lift him up? Or are there other motives that are there in our lives? Did I go there to see if brother so-and-so was there or was not there? If they had done this or they had done that, their motives were all wrong. And the Bible says immediately they bring with them a woman and they throw this woman down at the feet of the Lord and they said, Master, this woman, John 8 and 4, was taken in adultery in the very act. Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? They were saying offense. The offense of the commandments of God said thou shall not commit adultery. But Jesus, that, that fulfiller of the law, he was the love of God embodied. And the Bible says later Jesus would teach them it's not just that letter of the law that you must abide by. It starts far earlier than that. It begins in your head and it begins in your heart. Jesus said when you have a love for God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, on this hinges all of the other commandments. What's he saying? He is saying that when our conscience is right and when conviction is there, it will never lead us to do the things, amen, that that, 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 that are written in the commandments because every time a man or a woman would kill somebody, every time a man or a woman would commit adultery, every time somebody would rob a bank or become a thief or they would get into a fight, I promise you, it just doesn't happen like that. It begins in their heart. It begins in their head. And when we lower our conscience to allow it to think on things that are not right, let me prove it to you. Jesus said, the law said that Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery already in their heart. I had a man say, well, I might as well just go ahead and do the act because Jesus said it's the same. I said, you missed the, the, the teaching, my friend. The teaching was this, in our conscience. God is there, especially when he has filled us with his spirit. And he places conviction in our lives. And he says, if you can get a hold of your thoughts and you can get a hold of the things that are in your heart, it will cause the outcome of your life to be better than it was if you allow your thoughts to run all over the neighborhood and do whatever they want. God is saying we have the fence of conscience that is there in our lives. 
And so the Bible says that they threw her down and Jesus began to write upon the ground. And one by one, the Bible says they left where Jesus was at until finally Jesus was there with the woman. And he looks up and he says, woman, where are those thine accusers? And the Lord in response to that question, the woman said, Lord, there are none. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. He demonstrated what he wants to do. Jesus Christ does not want to punish you. He wants to save you. Amen. When he came to this world, the Bible said the angel declared, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And when that moment the Bible said that woman left a free individual. But notice why they left. If you look back into that chapter, you will find that when Jesus rolled on the ground, he said, he that is without sin, let him first cast a stone. And he stooped down on the ground and he wrote. And the Bible says in verse 9, when they heard it, I don't hear Jesus say anything. All I see, the scripture says, is that he did say, he that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. But then there was silence. And it says only after he stooped down and wrote on the ground, the Bible says that they were, they were, they were convicted, noticed by their own conscience. And the Bible says that they let that place went out by one by one. You know why? Because conscience is offense. I believe that he wrote names of people that had maybe done things wrong in their life. And when he wrote that, all of a sudden, conscience, amen, it said, that's you. And conscience being that fence, it made them get up and leave. I have seen men and women that didn't seem like they had a conscience. And it's possible, amen, to sear your conscience. Samson, go ask him. Samson committed adultery in his heart before he ever went with that woman that he laid his head in her lap, Delilah. And when he finally got it in his head and his heart, eventually it became an action. His conscience was seared. Amen. Go ask some of the others. Lot, the Bible said that his, he was vexed by the hearing and the words of Sodom and Gomorrah. And his conscience allowed things around his life to be done that later would cause him to pitch his tent towards Sodom and later find him in, a, in an incestuous relationship with his daughters. But it began, it didn't just bang all of a sudden happen. It began when his conscience began to be violated and he stepped across that fence. He was on his way to doing some things that were irreparable. But I've got good news this morning. Your conscience might have been wounded and you might be in a situation where you feel like, God, Lord, I have done so many things. The good news is God will forgive you. And the good news is that not only will God forgive you, but when you go to the waters of baptism, the Bible says that you'll be baptized and the, your, your sins will be washed away. And he says, he said, it's the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to tell somebody today when you say yes to the Lord and you are born again your conscience that has been wounded it has a hole in it God builds it back up again in 1 Timothy 4 and 1 
and two, Paul spoke of a time when the conscience of men and women would, be, would become cast down. He said the Spirit expressly says, verse number 1 of chapter 4, verse Timothy, In the last times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The devil will seduce you into dropping your standard and lowering that conscience. He will allow you to... Uh, 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 to reason things out uh, and to be able to say, well, God understands. He knows my heart. Yes, He knows your heart. Uh, but God expects you as a Christian man and a Christian woman uh, to allow the fence uh, of conscience to be in our lives uh, and to not trespass uh, that fence that is there. He goes on to say that they would speak lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. The word there for uh, sear is the Greek word kauterizo. It means to cauterize or to render insensitive. It means to scar, meaning to burn with a hot iron so that it destroys all of the nerve endings and the feelings to be numb without feeling insensitive specifically to the rights and the wrongs of God and what God wants. We should not be surprised that the whole world has no problem today calling evil good and calling good evil. The Bible refers to that and it prophesies that that would happen. It should be no amazement to us when they allow and they embrace same-sex marriage, amen, and they, they speak against men and women being married together in holy matrimony. The Bible says this comes when people begin to not recognize God because when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were they thankful. They became vain in their imaginations. Their conscience began to be seared. And the conscience, there was a, it was tore down and a hole was there in the wall of conscience. And the result was, the Bible says that, that men working with men, that which is unseemly, and they received the recompense of their error, which was... Which was not convenient. How did we ever get to this place where we ridicule the two-parent man and woman family and we celebrate what we call diversity by putting societal approval on same-sex marriage? How did we get here? Amen. We are more offended by some things that don't amount to a hill of beans than we are about sin and people being treated wrongly. We need God to help us raise the fence of conscience. Once again in our world, our world has had peace erased from its system because we have torn down the fence of conscience. I'll tell you what will erase all of the problems in society from racism to abortion. It is for God once again to raise up a fence in the lives beginning in the church called conscience. Conscience that is baptized in the name of Jesus. Conscience that is anointed with the Holy Ghost. Conscience that treats men and women right. And when that happens, violence will take place instead of or, or instead of violence and killing, there will be peace and there will be love and there will be a society that will respect one another. Come on, somebody say amen. 
You see, when the fence of conscience was violated, amen, by Adam and Eve, amen, the comfort and the peace and the prosperity and the assurance that they had, amen, in their life, it was done away with because they violated conscience and they violated that fence that God had placed there. Now they were faced with death and despair and disease and depression. You'll wonder why so many are on antidepressants today and why the psychiatrist's office are full. It's because we have broken down some fences in our world. Amen. You know why? It's because in many cases, the church has dropped that that fence called conscience. Every failure we read of in the Word of God, it began when they fear first ignored conscience. When David ignored the voice of conscience, it put him headlong into adultery and murder. Amen. God wants us to understand that we are tempted, according to James 1, when we are drawn away of our own lust and enticed. What's he saying? We entertain it in our mind first. That's why you've got to watch what you're watching and listen to what you're listening to. That's why you can't be friends and can't link up with everything that comes along and say, I'm going to be a part of it. If you've got to be a part of the latest thing that's happening, you might not be the man of God or the woman of God that he's called you to be. God did not call you to fit in. He called you to stand out. He called you to stand up. He called you to have conscience that will cause you to love him and everyone else. Somebody say amen. I got to hurry up to a close here. Every sin acted out, it is before thought about. Amen. And the dismantling of the fence of conscience then ensues. Every man is tempted, as I said, when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust conceives, it brings forth sin. And when it's finished, brings forth death. Do you see it? What we allow or disallow in our hearts and our heads, it determines the actions that are lived out in our lives. This is why I pray, God, let the fence of conscience and conviction, first of all, come to the church, and then let it, let it roll over into the world in which we live. Conscience, it affects our conversation. It causes our words to count, and it understands that Every idle word that is misspoken, we will give an account for. Conscience that is baptized in the Holy Ghost, it will convict us and it will cause us to look again at our actions. Conscience is the fence of safety and protection and prevention. And yet conscience is that stone wall that sometimes there are stones that are taken out that cause a breach in that and causes many bad things to happen. Let me talk at the end of this service about two stones that we must have in our life in order for that wall of conscience to be there. The stone of yes and the stone of no. We're good at saying yes, as I said in the first service, aren't we? Yes, 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 yes. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. But we're not so good at saying no. We need to practice saying no. We got to get some backbone. And, we gotta, and, and when people call us names and say, well, you should do this or you should do that, you've got to get some backbone. And you say, well, you know, the Lord, I, I, I want everybody to love me. Well, then don't be a Christian because everybody's not going to love you. 
Jesus said, you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. And, and, and I know the scripture says that when we live for God, that he will make us to be at peace even with our enemies. But don't ever think that you're going to be popular because you are a Christian. Because some things will make you very unpopular. You've got to learn to say no. Daniel had the wall and defensive conscience and convictions in his life. He said yes to prayer, opening the windows of heaven, even when there was a decree not to pray to any other God but the king. But the Bible says that he opened the windows as he did aforetime in the middle of that time. And his yes to God was a no to the world. Have you said no to the world? Oh, I'm saying yes to the Lord, and the Lord understands everything else. He understands, he may understand that we are just not being as truthful as he wants us to be. Because there are times we have to say no. The three Hebrew children listened to the voice of conscience and conviction when they said, we will not bow. No. Even Moses, the Bible says, though he was raised in the house of Pharaoh, he had conscience and he had conviction. These became the determining factors in his life. The wall or fence of conviction had firmly placed within it the stones of yes and the stones of no. Yes to God of creation and no to the mindset of the world. Some of y'all are getting ready to go to college, secular college. I'm going to tell you in that college, they're going to fill your mind full of junk and garbage. You say, you know, I don't believe that. Look at our world today. We got people standing for stuff that just absolutely, uh, it's unbelievable to me. When you go there, you better have a firm grip on truth, and you better have a firm grip on your conscience. Otherwise, you're going to be talked into every party, every dope smoker that comes along, Every boy or every girl that they're going to talk you out of everything they can talk you out of. And then you've got the professors. I'm not saying they're all like this, but I'm telling you there are some godless professors in our universities. And they will tell you and they will teach you things. Their agenda is not to teach you uh, reading and writing and arithmetic. Their agenda is to attack your mind and cause you to, be, uh, uh, to become indoctrinated with the things that they believe. You better wake up. And you better realize you're not going in there just for a, a picnic. I told my kids, I said, they, they would come back to me and they say, Dad, they're, they're teaching this and they're teaching that. And I, 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 what am I going to do? I said, don't believe a word that they said. Are you listening to me? I said, don't believe a word that they're saying. But you better hold on to conscience and you better hold on to the truths that you know that God has planted firmly in your heart. You better hold on to that word of God. They said, well, if I, don't, if I don't answer this, I'm going to get a zero. I said, answer the question. They want it to be answered the way that they want it to be answered. But understand that you're answering only to be able to get a grade, and your answer does not mean you agree with it. Come on now. You're not testing me on whether I believe it or not, because I don't believe a word you say. You're testing me on whether I've captured the information. Yes, I have. This is what you said. It's a bunch of bull. Did I say that? I'm sorry. Bologna, right? <laughs> All right, that's, I said it. That's the way it is. You say, I can't believe you said that. Okay, let me say it in biblical language. It's a bunch of dung. Is that better? That better? All right.
I promise you, I didn't say that at the first service. Lord, why do we have to be streaming now? <laughs> but Moses said, <laughs> Moses said, no and yes. Look at it, Hebrews eleven twenty four. 24. All right, here we go. By faith, when he was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He esteemed the reproach of Christ. You see it? There it is. You're going to be reproached, and if you can't stand for people not to like you and to make fun of you, get out now. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of reward. He, by faith, he forsook, see it? Not fearing, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. There was a yes, and there was a no. He took a stand, and when he did, God showed up. Now, all right, Pastor Anthony, I think you guys are ready. All right, so let, let me just give you two things, and I'll quit. When I read this passage here, when I read this passage, I read that he endured the reproach and the Bible says that he suffered affliction with the people of God and chose to do that rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, verse 25. And here's what God spoke to me. Your affliction is only for a season. It's not forever. A season is a temporary time that prepares for what is coming after. And it's important to do the right things in your season. There will be good seasons and there will be bad seasons. Don't throw in the towel in the midst of a bad season. The wise man said there's a time and a season for all things. Amen? Come on, look up here and say, it's only a season. Come on, it's a season. It's not going to last very long. And some of you said, oh my God, how long are we going to have this COVID-19 and mass and separation and all that? It's only for a season. Don't violate the principles of God, though, in your season. It's just a season. And pretty soon the season will change. And, and the harvest, the, the next season might be harvest. And you are gathering more than you ever thought that you could gather. And when that happens, the song of your life will change from, Why me, Lord, what I have ever done? To this word, it's my season to be blessed. Hallelujah! Come on, somebody! It's only a season. And then the Lord said, this is how you make it through a season, a bad season. The Bible says he esteemed the reproach of Christ more than the treasures in Egypt. He saw what he could not, and then he goes on to say that he endured as seeing him who is invisible. This is how you get through a bad season. You see what you cannot see. Let me read it again. Verse 27 says, By faith, Moses, he forsook, he had some yeses, he had some noes, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, as here it is, what? here it is, as seeing him who is invisible. We endure bad seasons when we see what we cannot see. 
What did he see that he could not see? He saw the invisible God that was working on his behalf. Oh, I know you didn't see it. I know you went from you went to Trinity and then you went here and you went there. But you know what? God had his hand on you, Adrian, all the time. And now finally you got here and you're going to Rockford University. The reason why you endured that, you broke your leg, you broke your foot. I know you're not didn't break your leg. I don't want to put that on you. But you went all through that stuff. And the reason why you're still up here this morning and you're playing, and by the way, I've enjoyed watching you play, worshiping God, is because you've seen what you could not see. You knew there was an invisible God that was working on your behalf that said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Woo! Hallelujah! The vision of the invisible God, it caused Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to follow conscience and conviction. It became the fence that kept them from stepping over the line. They said, no, I'm staying here where I ought to stay. And when that happened, God showed up in a visible manner. You say, how's that? The lions wouldn't bite and the fire wouldn't burn. Hallelujah. Come on, I'm feeling the Holy Ghost here tonight. This morning, it's a nighttime service at 11.30 on Sunday morning. Oh, hallelujah. It's just a season. It's just a season. And the way you endure the season is you see what you cannot see. Psalms 119 and 18 in the message translation, it says, open my eyes so I can see what you show me of your miracle wonders. You know what clouds the miraculous of God? Human reasoning. Human reasoning will talk you out of the blessings of God. Let me prove it to you. When Jesus came to the, uh, to, the, uh, to, the, uh, to the water, the five porches, and the Bible says there was a man laying there who had been not able to walk for all of his life. And Jesus said, do you want to be healed? And the man said, I can't walk. He didn't ask him if he could walk. He wanted to know if you want to be healed. You say, well, what did he say? He said, I have no man to carry me into the water when the water is troubled. You see, his human reasoning almost talked him out of a miracle. Because he could not see it with his eyes. He, he didn't allow that to, 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 to be there to, to cause him to miss that miracle. But he said, nope. He says, I'm going to see what I cannot see in order to receive what only God can give me. Woo! Some of you have kids, and you don't see them in the church. You don't see them living for God. But if you could see what you cannot see, and you can understand that He's the God that calls those from the east, the west, the north, and the south to come on back home, I believe the prodigal is going to come walking down that dusty road, and the fences that they left a long time ago, they're going to step back in, and you're going to say, Welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. That's what God can do. Ha! Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. 
intellect and human reasoning says that it's impossible for hundreds of thousands of people to walk through the Red Sea on the dry ground. But when we see what we cannot see, God shows up and He becomes a fence, a wall of water on our left and a wall of water on our right. Human reasoning says it's crazy to march around the walls of Jericho, but when they see what they cannot see and they look to a God that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, all of a sudden the God shows up and the walls come down and God gives them victory. Can you see it? I close, I close, I close. Second Kings chapter 6 tells the story of Elisha. Elisha could have fallen prey to human reasoning and intellect. And if he had, he would have missed the miracle of God. Remember? Moses endured because he saw the invisible God. He saw what he could not see. Am I making any sense? And so here was Elisha and the guy that was with him. It was, it was his understudy. I'll call him his understudy. And so his enemies found out where he was at in Dothan. And... Uh, they're going to destroy him. You might say it was a bad season. And while they were saying, we're going to go and tear him up, God was saying, oh no. Watch what I'm going to do. And so the Bible says, in 2 Kings, I brought you up to speed, verse 14. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night, the king did, to compass Elisha in his understudy. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, and host compassed the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said, Alas, my master, how shall we do? It was his understudy. And you ever notice the reason why that he was the understudy and he wasn't the leader? is because he couldn't see what the leader saw. Come on, somebody. And he answered... Fear not. He saw what he couldn't see in order to receive what God wanted to bring him. He said, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And I can just see that understudy going, huh? Because human reasoning will always talk you out. And then all of a sudden, Elijah prayed and said, Lord, open my understudy's eyes. Say, don't say that. This is Maynard's version, all right? That he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, the understudy, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. What am I saying today? 
You may feel like you're in that season of valley and all the attack is against you. But you need to see what you cannot see. Believe in the eternal, invisible, omnipotent, omnipotent, omniscient God of heaven and earth. And say, God, if you did it back then, you can do it now. They came down to destroy us. But I've come to tell you, I'm going up to the high places in order to tear the devil's kingdom down. Not because I'm so good, but because my God is a God of power. And my God is a God of authority. And my God is the one that I follow. All right, I'm done. Come on, somebody shout amen. Woo! Come on, shout a little bit over the word of God. Get it down inside your heart. Well, Jesus, be a fence all around me every day. Well, Jesus, Jesus, I want you to protect me. you would guide my footsteps lest I stumble along the way. Lord, I need you to direct me all along the way. Oh, Lord, be a fence all around me every day. Sing now, say, Jesus, Jesus, be a fence all around me every day. When I want But when he comes like a flood, my God will step in and a standard he'll write. Oh, Lord, be a fence. Lord, be a fence all around me every day. Then Jesus, Jesus, be a fence all around me. I come and go Jesus be a fan 
protection, a protection. Hallelujah. 
God bless you this morning. Go in victory. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed in Jesus' name. Yes, it's your season. 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 Yes, it is. It's your season. It's your season to be.